0: Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order.
1: This episode of Rebel Radio is brought to you by Wix.com, helping you get your website off the ground fast, free, and easy. They have hundreds of great looking templates. You can do it all by yourself. You can add images, videos, text, social media. So simple. You don't need to be a programmer or a designer or any of that stuff. You just drag and drop and you're done and everything's good. You can go back to your life. I encourage you to check it out at Wix.com. Wix.com. W-I-X.com. What's up, this is Rebel Radio.
2: What up, what up, this is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butter Wolf.
3: It's your boy, it's okay.
1: Keep checking out Rebel
2: Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Ah. Rebel Radio is going down. Would
0: you say, Rebel Radio?
2: Oh, wait, let's do it again.
0: Rebel Radio.
1: What's up, y'all? Welcome back to Rebel Radio. I'm your host, Josh Levine. Introducing my new co-host... Mr. Eddie Donaldson, who's joining me on a series we're calling Artwork Rebels, exploring conversations with some of the most important visual artists out today. And this is episode one in partnership with Guerrilla One. And our guest today, I'm very excited to have as, the man Jim Evans, who's been maybe more responsible than anybody for the visual communication around music for the past few decades. He started out with bands like the Allman Brothers in Chicago, Onto Nirvana, the Beastie Boys, Wu-Tang. This man's created hundreds, that's no exaggeration, hundreds of album covers, posters, websites. Anything you can think of around music, he's done it. And he's gonna give us some great insights into how you build a career that's that rich and lasts that long and touches that many people. And some, some, Words of wisdom about how to stay out of the creative ruts that we all fall into. So I'm very excited to share that with you. Right after this, our EDM.com track of the week. If you didn't know nothing now, you know what's good, if you didn't know
0: now, you know you gotta get If you get it done me, but... It's that magical rap, genius, life-changing, experience, night, journey, miraculous, to heaven and back on a pegasus, exodus, movement of the people, not promised tomorrow, leaders know when to follow, sit but what the arrow. It's an and the pharaoh, walking on the straight and narrow, in the desert of the hallows, on the ready for the battle, side by side like double battle, Fire upon the shaitan, shine a light on a shadow, and tell him to get gone. I'm like Garvey, Gandhi, you scared of Illuminati, I'm drumming with Boba Shanti, and Hali Selassie, true king, Lions leadership, my army's right behind me, families that protected, respected by those who spawn me, in the me. jungles of Jamaica, sipping coke,
1: Okay, that was the reminders, our edm.com track of the week if you didn't know. And now let's hear from Taz. I do want to set us up because this is kind of a special episode. This is our first, I think we're going to call it the Art Rebel series, hosted in collaboration with Gorilla One. That's right. And my man Eddie, Eddie here. No. Uh so we go back at least 20 years. Longer than that. Longer than that because I was in college. And I remember coming to to the hip hop shop.
2: Yeah, it's a long time.
1: What was the shop called?
2: Odd Spot 23.
1: So Ron Hill brought me over there. Hey, I was trying to think about how we met.
2: What were you doing retail?
1: I was doing I was doing nothing. I was you just were like shopping. hustling, you know. And uh no Ron was doing retail and I just came right along yeah, used you to ride know? with him. Learn the all game the and stuff. And so but dude, you're like like, you should be in the dictionary under Hustler, because, you know... Right next to you. <laughs> but, you know, you, you always have just more shit happening, like real projects, you know, more, more game, more hustle than anybody I know.
2: I appreciate and, that coming um, from you. That means a lot.
1: No, it's, it's absolutely true. So I'm excited to do this together, and then maybe you can talk a little bit about Guerrilla 1, yeah, well, what, I mean, right now, kind
2: of Gorilla 1's on hold, but as you know, it was the first graffiti website in Los Angeles, and probably the third in the world, and it's now gone on to be great things. You know, the Seventh Letter kind of spawned from Gorilla 1, so G1 was the original Seventh Letter, and then it went to Glass House, and then it went to Forgotten, now it's Seventh Letter, so mm-hmm. kind of done with that, kind of moving on, still keeping the name alive and using it for events, but it's not, not much for it anymore. I'm 47, so it's kind of hard to keep the dream alive.
1: Yeah, I hear it. But at the same time, you know, it's it's obviously taking you to a lot of interesting places. It really has. And, and connections. And, it, you know, in, in this show, you know, we definitely want art to be part of it. And, and when I started thinking about art and, and talking to artists, um, you know, you were the first person. Yeah, Gorilla one always pops up. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you know, you, you gave birth to
2: some of these niggas.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Check that one. Although man. not to Taz. No, no, not at no. all. So.
2: Not at all. Definitely grateful thanks. to be working with Jim. G
1: one Taz, and so maybe you know you guys can talk about the collaboration, the stuff you're doing together. But uh, sir, I'm I'm excited to have you here.
3: Oh, thanks. Uh, thanks. Just
1: you know seeing your your body of work, and you've worked with many many of my favorite artists. Um, and so I think you know I would describe you probably incorrectly, so you can correct me on it. But um, you know as as creative director, art director, designer. Illustrator, I think, musician,
2: surfer,
3: yeah, photographer,
1: just all around badass. Okay,
3: so I shoot pictures too. I mean, yeah. I wanted to be a photographer at first, but uh, did you? Yeah, I ended up going into art. I was just a stronger artist yeah. than I was a photographer. Yeah.
1: So, and but you started out as a musician, right? I did, yeah, yeah. And so, how did that? Tell me about like I always like to go just back to the, the very beginning, right? So, tell me about your uh, what music you grew up with, and and what was the role that music played in your
3: life i came up uh i mean i, I probably was most influenced in the beginning by by Dwayne eddie and uh that kind of a sound uh link ray see Duane what we do eddie. is we just pretend like we know, we know. and then we look yeah, it up yeah,
1: on google then, after yeah, all right. <laughs> that's I'm, the new I'm shit google it now. but i
3: mean it was uh it was a reverb drenched sound yeah. right and and the, so this the, is the, like
1: the, surf rock kind of stuff well it was before actually Dwayne Eddy and,
3: and link ray were before surf rock but okay. they they brought like uh like santo and johnny I and mean, they did. They did yeah. the, uh, the pedal steel guitars, and, and they had that sound. So it was like a, a reverb drenched, really cool sound that like bent into surf music. And so I probably came in, you know, maybe I was like 12, 13 years old and I heard about Fender guitars and I saw somebody like playing a Fender guitar and it was like immediately, I mean, I was already a surfer. I mean, I was a young surfer, but it just, uh, it fascinated me. So I wasn't really a natural musician, but I liked the idea of, of rock music. I was like, you know, I was seduced by just all that, that reverb and the sounds that were coming. It just seemed like like a, a a breakthrough of like unique music all at once because mm-hmm. I went from all the, the white boy music of the 50s like everything was like you know kind of kind of uh, cookie cutter type stuff to like you started getting the cooler bands you know like you know it's starting to like like I said Dwayne Eddy and mm-hmm. that sort of thing and uh, Buddy Holly and Link Ray I mean really was the first one to like I mean I think he he recorded uh, Rumble in like a chicken coop with a broken amplifier yeah. but like as a kid, when you heard that on the radio, you had no idea what it was, except it just seemed badass. I yeah. mean, just, you know, that sound. So I kind of wanted to do that, so I found, like, a friend of mine that, like, his brother played guitar, and I told him just, to, you know, I got a guitar and told him to teach me. So I started a surf band. Somebody, first band was a surf band, because nice. it just happened to be all the friends that I surfed with. Yeah. What was the so, name of the band? Me and the Others. Me and the Others. That's a great name. <laughs> That's right. Let's <That's laughs> bring them back. How, kind of how, let, far did
1: you, how far did that go?
3: It went, it went pretty far. I mean, I played in a lot of different bands. I, I made you know money as a musician probably for from the time i was in uh, ninth grade to first year of college so like five years and i played Great. i played pretty steady i mean i played with my regular guys but that was like a, a real band yeah. it was like all the arguments that go with the real band and like all the craziness that goes with the real band yeah. and we went from like you know the the surf music to like original songs and and actually played like all over north san diego county so we had like you know we had real gigs i had you know promoters and things like that that I made deals with and made money then at night I would play with uh, country and western bands to make real money oh wow yeah so I actually played with like local country and western bands um, the banjo Huh? banjo no I played I played lead guitar mm-hmm. and I would just like fill in you know there was uh I don't know if you heard of Barbara Mandrell yeah sure yeah for yeah. sure well she would like went to our high school and her father oh, owned a wow. local music store so he was always like hooking me up with the guitars I needed and things like that and he said, You know, you really like, you know, he said, I, I really dig your band and everything like that. He said, But well, they're a bunch of losers, man. You really, if you want to make some money, you yeah, just like kick, come and like in with my kick daughter. To the curb. Yeah. You know, so I would like go out there and uh, I would just, you know, she was like a one man show. She played the drums and guitars and things like that. So she was always like a showcase thing. Mm-hmm. And so I would just like fill in for a missing guitar player or, you know, and they always paid like cash money. You know, I had to wear like a little suit and everything like Got that. It. But
2: still, it was. I want to see pictures of that. <laughs> Let's use that in the promo for the show.
1: I think we, I think man. I think I, Learned about her on Solid Gold. I think she was a
3: guy when
2: five. Like right. Yeah. Yeah. And then
3: about the time I guess I was a senior in high school, everything started breaking in, in, uh, in San Francisco. And I started seeing the first signs of, um, you know, this, this, I wouldn't know what you call it. You just call it the new age of, of everything, you know. Right. First of all, you'd hear the sounds, you know. You heard like, you know, a man like Moby Grape. And these guys were like on speed playing like lead guitar runs like faster than you've ever heard anybody play before. Yeah. And so you're like wondering like what all this stuff is. It seems so different than everything else. Mm-hmm and um so and i started seeing posters and like immediately i saw some some of these little flyers and i knew but like something completely different was going on they weren't like anything i'd ever seen before Different look huh different look completely different so yeah. i wanted to integrate that with our band and so i started doing the you know the posters for the band i did, I did drum heads and uh, painting guitars and things like that and they weren't quite into it you know they said like you're going to be an artist whatever. or a musician right yeah. whatever right and then i actually started doing it for other bands and so i soon i had like a little side thing of like silk screening posters for local local bands and things mm. and i was actually you know they would have to pay me yeah. so i was making more money like doing that kind of stuff than I was actually playing with the band because the band always wanted to buy a new microphone or sure. something like that. So the you know the two things kind of led to this whole coagulation around 1968 with uh, the Vietnam War and Jimmy's got to go to like, you know, he's either going to go in the, in the service or he's going to like, you know, just run to Canada or something like that. So I ended up going to art school mm-hmm. and I had, to, I had to do something in order to get some credits in order to like try to, and yeah, I ended up going in the reserves, the Navy reserves yeah. in order to keep from being a grunt in the field. Sure. But At the same time, I went to art school, and I got a job and and started doing artwork. And then one thing led to another, you know, being at the beach and all. I met Rick Griffin uh, at the time. And I'd been doing some, like, underground comic books and cartoons and things like that, but basically mostly on my own. And I met him, and he, like, you know, sort of took me under his wing and kind of made me his understudy and started getting me jobs. At the same time, I met a guy named Ron Cobb, who if you Google him, you'll find out a lot about this particular guy. I mean, he's... He was a, a well-known artist at the time, and he saw me sketching in a, um, in a restaurant in Westwood where I worked. Mm. And I was, like, drawing some cartoons, and he came up, and he said, Hey, do you got any, any more of those? And I said, Yeah, I mean, I draw, like, a lot of this shit. You know, I, I can do it all the time. And he said, Well, I got, like, this company called, uh, uh, it's a graphic company, and we're distributing cartoons, like, to underground newspapers, and we need somebody that draws, like, funky, weird junk, like you're drawing there. He said, Do, do, do those things say anything? I said, Oh, yeah, I got, like, whole stories and everything like that. So I started putting together some panels and gave it to his company, and they distribute them. And I started getting like shown in, uh, you know, the East Village other and and uh, you know Boston papers all over the country. They they were like showing up. Wow. So I was sort of like getting distributed without like having any any power base at all. They were right. just like suddenly they were because they, they needed people that could do funky cartoons. Yeah, and I was like a graphic artist, but I hadn't wasn't really very um, I don't know sophisticated, you know. Myself sure. was still kind of funky, mm-hmm. and I was trying to get, you know, figure out what to do at the same time going to art school. And Then I started getting album covers from Rick, and I really couldn't take the time to go to art school. And I figured that it would almost be better if I just like, just cut myself loose and started developing art. a style, like yeah. a funky style. Like I thought like, everything I don't learn might be to an advantage to me because I, would, like, cause I couldn't really compete like, on the same level as, as some of the guys I saw. I thought they are like, shit, is crazy good, right? Yeah. So I thought I'd just you know, keep my funkiness and just keep refining it. And it worked out pretty well. And, uh,
1: so, so hearing you talk about it, you know, you make it sound like, you know, one thing, like shit just happens, right? Kind of, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's great. Uh, at, at what point was there a plan? Like, like were you thinking, I'm going to be a musician for my career? And then it just sort of shifted gears. But like, how, how conscious were you of like, what kind of career path you're going
3: down? I mean, from, a, you know, from an emotional aesthetic viewpoint, I would rather be a musician. I enjoyed music more than I enjoyed, like, sitting in a dark room doing artwork. I mean, I like jamming with people and things yeah. like that. But
1: and did you have thoughts that, like, that that was a
3: real career option? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there was, I, I played with a lot, of, a lot of good people. I mean, it, 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 towards the end, when I realized that, like, art was, like, taking up a lot of my time, and I had a kid, and mm-hmm. I, had, you know, I had a wife, mm-hmm. and I had to make some money, And so art was the one thing I could actually make money, like, pretty quickly. Whereas music, I would still play with people, and I could make money. But usually I would tie myself to somebody big and, like, you know, fill in as a rhythm section or, you know, like, just make someone else look good. So that was, like, kind of towards the end, that was kind of where I went. And then I think I I tried out for a a band called Pacific Gas and Electric. They were, like, looking around for guitarists, and I got... Beaten up by Randy California, I think, or somebody like that. And, and I mean, it was like one of those kind of things that go see, where you just set up a guitar and, and you start playing and, with the band. And I was like, I was like pretty good at the time. But the guy, like, you know, like blues are like really starting to happen mm-hmm. in a big way. And the guy, like, when he finished, he goes, like, he said, Wow, you're like the best psychedelic surfing guitar player I've ever heard of. He said, But like, we're not looking for sur- psychedelic surfing guitar. I mean, now I, you know, I can start a band just with that alone, right? Yeah, sure.
2: Don't you have a band now? <laughs> you and ned
3: uh, well we just do the stuff in the background you know um but yeah got, it was like it was like at the time it was kind of an insult i thought like wow i haven't even lost that, that you know it's like still stuck with me yeah you know i crank up the reverb and everything i did had that that's still that same sound that dwayne Eddy twang to it yeah and, it, and in the early 70s that really wasn't like what anybody was looking for so i just like gave it up mm-hmm. and i got a sitar and i went to like uh Ravi shankar's school You're kidding. and i learned to play the sitar wow and i thought like you know If somebody needs a sitar player, I'll just like fill in. Played played in the background with a couple a couple of different groups just playing sitar for a while, and then. What uh, is a sitar?
2: Eddie,
1: when's the last time you hired a sitar player?
3: <laughs> I don't even
2: know what a sitar is. What is a sitar? Is that that really long? Guitar? Yeah. yeah. it's yeah. like yeah. an Indian, Indian. Guitar, Indian guitar. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Right. And then when, when you go to when you go to something like Ravi Shankar's school, you uh, I mean you learn to sit. I mean you spend like yeah. probably the first three months just sitting. You right? know.
2: In the pose. Right. Yeah. And
3: then. And then of course, as soon as you start playing or something like that, the guy keeps coming and grabbing your shoulder and says, "You're a guitar player. You keep playing like a guitar player. Stop playing like a guitar player. Like, That's gonna hurt. You keep doing that to my shoulder." <laughs> so that was that. that the, my music career just kind of faded off, and then I yeah. went to Hawaii, and uh, art became like like everything. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I was always like, "That's probably what." I mean, if you say like the, you know, the what was the lingering effect of my music? career would be the fact that I immediately got involved in rock music yeah amazing, know, doing posters. posters and yeah. and things like that so I was that along so with was the that it was
1: that intentional or was it did it just happen
3: it, it just happened that's kind of where I went yeah. I mean artistically yeah. I mean my style was was came from underground comics mm-hmm. so it had and I guess when what I were the
1: to, comics that you grew up reading or being
3: influenced by I mean, when I was a little kid, yeah. Like just yeah, they, Mad like, Magazine probably okay. would be the biggest influence that influenced me. And then, I mean, I read I read Superman and, yeah. and all the comics, but I would say that. If but I, like, and, it,
1: like what what would you say was like the kind of open your eyes to like underground comics because that's a bit of a different world.
3: And Mad Magazine. Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid. Yeah. You mean know, stuff that like bubbled around in my head that mm-hmm. like when when I got into underground comics, I understood like immediately sort of. I mean, when I saw the first underground comic book, I sort of saw what those guys were doing. I thought like wow they just like dropped acid and it scrambled their brains and like all that shit that they saw when they were little kids just bubbled up and they've like you know refined illustrated it, it. Yeah, and yeah. illustrated it you so, remember that shit man
1: what like i grew up like i wasn't into it but there was kids in my class that had like freak brothers see i knew, i wasn't and, into
2: that never was exposed to it yeah, yeah. but i'm from kentucky so it wasn't yeah, yeah. a big thing yeah i grew man. up in san francisco
1: we were, so there's a little yeah, that we stuff was around you know we weren't too hip one kid had uh on the school bus like one kid had a penthouse well, and the we other kid had we uh, had freak brothers and you're like who am I going to sit next to today like you know
2: Penthouse <laughs> wins every time usually yeah it wins every time
3: i mean the the idea of it at the time it was hard it was hard to imagine like it's hard to go back to like what was happening at that time because you came out of the 50s and you had the early 60s which were kind of like the backwash of the 50s right but then when right after kennedy's assassination what i would say was like the underground in a big way like like sort of came Into being, like you started seeing like articles, like really weird articles written by you know really good underground writers and things like that, like skewing reality in a whole different way. Mm. And then when comic books came along and the underground comic books, it skewed the comic book reality in a whole different way. So the subversion of that, like what it did and what led to in pop culture, was pretty huge. I mean, it it really made a big difference. I mean, it was like seductive and different, and it was like it was like. You know taking the piss out of like you know like consensual culture mm-hmm. in a way that those people couldn't even understand of course towards the end i mean playboy magazine like took all the underground cartoonists and like put them all together in a magazine i did like a surfing you know comic book with rick griffin and uh in surfer magazine we had robert uh, robert crumb and all those guys in oh, cool. surfer In surfer how old
2: is surfer it's been around that surfer long has
3: been like since 1962. wow this comic book was done in like 69 70. wow <laughs> well, what was it called tales from the tube
2: Tales That's from awesome. the Tube.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And that was, uh, I mean, and then the underground stuff with the Freak Brothers and stuff like that sort of like lingered on into the 70s, but then it was pretty much over. It was sort of like like, like Woodstock uh, versus, uh, you know, the Monterey Pop Festival. Like, mm-hmm. The Monterey Pop Festival was really a thing. But right. Woodstock, like, if you'd went to the Monterey Pop Festival, which I did, then by the time Woodstock came along, it was like all that stuff was pretty much over. You're really looking at, like, the backwash of, like, sort of what's left or, like, a next generation of people yeah, so getting that's into interesting. the
1: mainstream version. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, who'd you see at Monterey Park? Uh,
3: Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. yeah. Jesus. And Rabbi Shankar. Really? Uh, yeah. Damn. What, how was that show? I mean, it, it was, what I had done is I I'd, I'd met this girl, and, and we went to see, um, uh, let's see, we went to see a big show at the Whiskey. Uh, I'm trying to think of who it was. Uh, Otis Redding and we were leaving there there was like a big fence that was like on sunset boulevard and it had like the names of like all the san francisco bands and things like that so as i'm driving down to the end of this thing i'm going holy crap what is that you know it's just like not only that but all the cool english bands mm-hmm. i mean lacy the, the all the greatest bands you'd ever imagine, yeah. but fresh right then and on there one billboard and then at the end it had like a phone number you know so i like wrote down the phone number when i'm at home i called the phone number and they only had tickets to the the hendrick show and and uh Ravi shankar so I I just bought tickets to those things. Yeah. So then we drove up to San Francisco, went through Big Sur, and we you know we went to Monterey and basically spent you know the week there, going to the festival, but only able to go to those two shows. Mm-hmm. But like seeing those two shows, and then afterwards, and I, I didn't know really what uh, what Hendrix would be about because Hey Joe was on the radio.
0: Hey. Where you going with
3: that your head? And I thought he was kind of a funky, sort of heavy, you know, like folk guy or something like that based on Hey Joe. Mm-hmm. And then of course, being there that night, and like seeing that performance. I mean, you've seen the Way performance more right? Yes, yeah. Yeah. yeah, And yeah. Then you're looking around. Everybody and everybody's like mouths hanging open. So then I thought, damn. And then I heard he was playing in San Francisco at the Fillmore. So then we drove up there to stay there and, and, and meet some of my friends. And I went to the Fillmore and saw him play there. You know, yeah. and it's, it's uh, I mean, in those days you could actually walk up to the front of the stage. Sure. Everybody else is dancing around, eating apples and dropping acid, and you just sit like, you know, he's here and you're like sitting there. and I'm just watching him. You know, it's like play. So then i went home and told the band about you know what i'd seen you know i was trying amazing. to like i was saying we really got to get it together yeah, and I can't, I can't i'm up, trying to it describe this guitar <laughs> player i said yeah the guy plays like he plays backwards and i said i don't think he he doesn't reverse his guitar or his strings I said so he plays the strings upside down and i said i can't guarantee that he ever actually tunes his guitar right i said it looked to me like he just <laughs> bends the strings into tune the way when he plays you know how about this you're in a band and the dude comes in he's like yeah, we got to get like Hendrix. Yeah, no doubt. That's crazy. <laughs> and then that, uh, and then *Are You Experienced* album came out, and I threw it down, and I said, like, I mean, that's the look, and they're going, "Whoa, what's that, man? that guy's like dressed like a girl." Yeah. <laughs> so a little much.
2: <laughs> that's crazy. I would have loved to have seen Jimi
3: Hendrix. Anyway, so it was it was those kind of things that were happening at the time that that kind of like galvanized, you know, in, in your mind. And of course, on the way up there, I saw *Blow Up*. You yeah. Know, that, that movie about the photographer in London. Yeah. So then I had I had to get my camera, you know. And I thought, like, Psh, man, that's sexy. That's right. like that's what's going on in london you know remember it had uh the Yardbirds in there yeah, yeah like playing at the club yeah it had jimmy page and jeff beck on stage mm-hmm. and the kids were like standing in, in the club going like this you know right and they're like watching these guys like tear their guitars apart and they right. hadn't I noticed, like nobody had any idea what was going on they were just like hmm okay yeah this is not danceable
1: does that does that happen do you think still what like uh you know, can you get up on stage and just completely blow people's minds with something that they've never seen before?
3: I suppose you could, but it would be harder than it was then. I mean, none of it was easier just because there was, I mean, when you look at the time frame, so if you look back in time, and you see, like, what I'm talking about, sort of the, the early 60s, it was still pretty slow, right? Yeah. And then the Beatles came along, you know, with their thing, and then, you know, they went from, like, you know, zero to, like, like, psychedelic, you know, minstrels in, like, right. what, three and a half years? Yeah. So things were, like, were like pretty compressed at that time. I mean, yeah. even the Beach Boys went from what they were into, like, complete acid heads and doing mm-hmm. their good vibrations. So everything was, like, pretty different. So people were going up on stage and, like, doing things that were, you know, demonstrably hadn't been done before. I mean, even even uh, Jim Morrison. I mean, now you've seen, like, a billion people have imitated him. But, like, when he first stood on stage with his leather pants and doing his, his whole shtick, it sure. looked pretty different yeah you know because you hadn't seen anybody really act like that before
2: Well, yeah. i guess modern days is like daft punk right yeah i guess so like that's yeah. the biggest thing to like freak people out you know? yeah i mean i find that do it anymore
1: that's a great point I, I mean i find that really interesting that you know we can look back throughout history whether there's elvis the beatles easy e ozzy osbourne right like there are these times sex pistols people talk about that show Right, that one night in London, where or in in, uh, in uh, Manchester, right, and where like something that's never been done before happens for the first time, and there's a small group of people that see it,
2: and then the rest of the world hears about it,
1: like over time, yeah. right, and you know, and I wonder how much of that is left, for, none for music,
2: right, none. festivals, you know, everybody gets to play and see everything. When you think about it, it's got to be possible online. again,
3: just because no matter what anybody's done there's got to be something that everybody hasn't seen before or no- nobody expects. I mean, the fact like is what? we we become like jaded thinking like, "Wow, we got yeah. all this stuff and like how can you how can you how surprise can you get me?" Better, right. Yeah. I mean, somebody will come along and surprise us, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, when you think about uh when you think about pop music, it's almost like um Like, there was an explosion in the late late 40s. You had, like, Frank Sinatra, and then you got the Elvis thing, and you got all the the white boys and stuff like that, and then the English invasion, and they reintroduced, like, America to, like, you know, black music and Mm -hmm. and brought that back. And then the whole thing combined into, like, a really sort of cool, like, really hot center right about the mid-'60s. Around 1970, if you look at the charts in 70, you can see, like, every month there were, like, great albums put out by everybody, every kind of music right, all together, you know, from, like, sabbath to funkadelic parliament funkadelic right mm-hmm. and then everything in between i mean simon and garfunkel i sure. mean there's like not a single genre in, in 1970 you can think of that wasn't touched i mean marvin Gaye. yeah you know so you had soul music you had i mean everything music was banging music was banging i always like say 70s was like was probably like the the white heat and then everything began to cool off after that i mean you've had like you know you've had the punk and uh, you know had uh yeah, hip you know, hop. New wave, know, hip-hop new wave hip-hop was an explosion
2: yeah mm-hmm. i mean hip-hop you know, has probably continued explosion. on longer than
3: almost anything in terms like i was yeah. talking to him today i said like, right now hip-hop is like probably the voice of american politics in terms of like you know making a a, a sound that, that people need to hear you got mm-hmm. killer mike mm-hmm. on uh on yeah the,
2: killer mike's a factor in yeah, this man. in this election absolutely, absolutely.
3: yeah yeah And then Beyonce goes on like the uh, Super Bowl halftime and like rechannels the the uh, the Black Panthers like everybody's like we're Black Panthers killing it Kendrick's
2: (laughs) killing it too yeah yeah what about Anderson Yeah.
0: I'm only coming out to play.
2: Nothing more that I hate in this life. The wrong impression. I only have one to make. You can open your palm,
0: waiting to catch a break. The cards are far where they may. And what about me?
2: Yeah, you like this Yeah,
1: Just killing yeah. it. It's great. Yeah. Um. Well, I maybe for both of you, I'm curious what. Uh, what music is impacting you today? Like, I'm sure you stay in touch through your work, right? To, mm-hmm. With with what's happening.
2: This guy knows more about music than anybody I know. I mean, his playlist in the car, I couldn't even believe it. We drove to Coachella. I'm like, what are you doing listening to this shit? He, he's hipper than I am. So what's new music that, that still has an impact on you?
3: I would, say, I would say rap and hip-hop right now probably has the biggest impact on me in terms of, like, you know, listening to new things. I mean, I like... Uh, I mean, I like war on drugs, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I can't say there's anything new about it. I mean, it's like it's like everything I've ever heard, like put together into like a really nice package that I really enjoy listening to. But at the same time, it's like there's not like a single guitar lick or like even vocal phrasing that hasn't been done before. But the guy does it like so well, yeah. you know, that I really like it. Yeah. Uh, I like, uh, I mean, I like Kendrick Lamar a lot.
2: I like Royal Blood. You have seen those kids? Yeah. two brothers from Australia, New yeah. Zealand. Two guys, okay. A drummer and a guitar player. Sounds like a five-piece band. Really? Yeah, we saw him with Raymond at Coachella.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good. I like Run the Jewels a lot. I guess if yeah. I were to say all my best bands, it'd be like you know Run the Jewels, Kendrick Lamar, Anderson Paak, mm-hmm. uh, those kinds of bands.
0: Hey. Fascist slave, you protested to get in a fucking lookbook. Everything I scribble's like the anarchist's cookbook. Look good, placing in the center for the cookbook. Black on black on black, with a ski mask, that is my crook. Like my styling, bruh Ain't nobody smiling, bruh Back to turn this motherfucker up Like Rikers Island, bruh bro my fathers and my cripples And my blooders and my brothers When you niggas gon' unite And kill the police, motherfuckers Or take over a jail Get them see your The burning of that sofa Goddamn, I love the smell Like it's a pillow torching Where the fuck to warden And when you find them We don't kill them We just waterboard them
3: we kill so I listen them to that a lot And I still listen to, you know I still listen to rock as often as I can But it's not as much that I like there. I mean, I find myself listening to like 10-year-old uh Queens of the Stone Age. Mm-hmm. I still like that.
2: Mm-hmm. I definitely listen to classic rock more than anything on my Spotify.
3: Yeah? Mm-hmm.
1: What's what's heavy rotation?
2: I mean, I just it, I well, it, like, what's Spotify the, what's you can pick the, anything you want. What's the song that like, you know, when you I don't know. Yesterday was Steve Miller Band. Okay. Fly yes Supertramp. Okay. Peter Frampton. I try to get weird with it because you can on Spotify. It's like you can just pick a name and play
1: it. Yeah, yeah, sure. I saw Steve Miller Band not that long ago. It was like a corporate gig, so it's kind of and he was like corny. He was bitching about the sound and that, and then but he got totally upstaged by the Go Go's who opened for him and murdered it. Recently? Yeah, it was like eight years ago.
2: We saw Steely didn't like. I mean, he was. It was
1: you know it was cool because you were seeing Steve Miller in a private show, but the Go Go's were like
2: crushed it, blew it away. Right, sixty years old.
1: Yeah. Just, you know, it's still beautiful and just murdering Home. it work. Yeah. All my hustlers out there, I know you're getting your business on. You need a website trying to look good and you got to do it fast and you got to save money. So check out our sponsor Wix.com. You can do it all by yourself. You can add images, videos, text, social media. It's easy to look great online with a Wix.com website. You get to Wix.com today and go build you a website. It's easy and free.
3: Wix.com. Probably I mean, one of the saddest things about American music is the is the lack of jazz or the love of jazz. I mean, I've always yeah. liked. I mean, I've always liked all the blue note stuff. I mean, I still listen to jazz a lot, but it's mostly old jazz. It's not that much new jazz that I find. And that's one of the things I liked about Kendrick uh, Lamar because he introduces jazz, like in a way that nobody else has, yeah. into his his pieces. Absolutely. I mean, and so I think it turns like a whole new generation on to like what a jazz sound is, like the, the weird syncopations mm-hmm. and things like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what happened for me. I'm a, I'm a huge jazz fan, but I learned about that through hip hop. Mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, it's because I was listening to records and I was like, started understanding about samples. Yeah. And then you go back, yeah, it comes you from, know, yeah, dig,
2: dig in the crates, talk
1: to the dude at the store. What's that sample? And then take the record home and spend the night with it, you know.
3: Well, that Absolutely. was what was interesting about the, uh, about the 70s. Like, if I say that rock music and stuff like that, I thought, like, kind of peaked a little bit in the 70s. Jazz, like, kind of took off with fusion jazz. I mean, you had, right. like, Herbie Hancock and yeah. Miles Davis doing <laughs> Bitches Brew and all that sort of thing. And then the Weather Report basically just redefined, like, the whole idea yeah. altogether. I mean, they put everything together into this beautiful sound, and, of course, had some of the best musicians of all time playing it. Mm-hmm. So I think that uh, jazz was, you know, jazz really, I mean, it, it, it didn't develop anywhere beyond that. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. So I want to talk about the art stuff, though, because, you know, I think you have, um, you know, you've, you've been a big factor in, in taking everything that we're talking about, all that energy uh, and and all of these nuances that are created in music and then turning those individuals, right? And so whether it's album covers, logos, posters. Websites. Websites, right? Like you, you've sort of taken, um, I was thinking about it this morning and like, I almost think of you as as sort of a remixer, right? Because you're taking someone's creation and you're translating it. It just happens to be into a different medium than what they created in. So I guess my question is how how much, maybe tell me about the the process you go through and how much of what we see in your creations is yours versus the artist's.
2: Hmm.
3: That's, that's, That's interesting. I mean, a lot of artists that I work closely with, of course, have I- ideas that they want. Yeah. You know, so um, uh, uh, when I work with some artists, they've said specifically that um, um, you know they want a certain kind of a thing. They want themselves standing in it, you know, floating over the desert with their guitar in their hand, and like you know, like a desert sunset and all that sort who of thing. Who was that? So, huh? Who who asked for that? That uh, guitar player from the Doors. What's his name? Uh, yeah, Doors guitar player. Guitar uh, it's, player? Huh? Oh no. Yeah, no. The Doors guitar player. Anyway, the one, after the Doors broke up, I, I did his first album, and he. Okay. So basically, I just I took him into the kitchen and stood him up on a chair and took a picture <laughs> of him. I mean, when I need it, when I need a picture, I just take. I took a picture, you know. So I, a lot of times, I use photography to, uh, to get what I needed. Sure. I would say that most of the time, uh, the artist likes you to interpret what they say or interpret their music. Yeah. But I would say in the earlier days, like in the seventies, more often than not. Um, artists like something really, really specific. Mm-hmm. Although, like I did the Almond Brothers, I did a double package for them, and they just gave me the title. What and was I, it? Uh, and you it? Dollar Gas, wash the windows, and, and a bit of oil, or whatever it is. It's like a really long title. Yeah. So I did like the front of an old time gas station. We were talking to that.
2: Paul. You said that when you do the prints, you just kind of force your image on, on some of the bands or some of the shows, right?
3: I mean, recently, it seems like none of the artists really care uh, what you do as long as you do something interesting. Cool. Yeah. Right, so then it became like I would say that in the, in the early 90s everything almost everything I did the band just let me do whatever I wanted to do and so is that
1: because you became more prominent and had more authority or is it because like the nature of, of digital music distribution does that change the role of, of the art or, or why do you think
3: I think that the, the bands uh, uh, the bands in the 90s which we would call the alt bands I guess um, were more collaborative in terms of like they liked to work in collaboration, whereas the earlier bands were more egotistical in terms more of direction. branding and yeah. and their look and their feel and stuff like that. Yeah. They wanted like a certain kind of a thing, and they wanted you know if they wanted a fisheye lens, they wanted a fisheye lens, right? They didn't want like you know to do something completely different. They really wanted like really specific kind of things all the time. What
1: about when they're wrong? <laughs> <laughs>
2: do you fair. tell them? Huh? Do you tell them, or do you let them hang themselves?
3: I don't know. I've seen I've seen bands be really wrong. I saw uh, Rick Griffin did a, a job for Steppenwolf one time, and he did what I thought was like his best piece. I think it's still his best piece. And he did it for the cover, and he turned it in, and they put it on the inside, and they put like just a picture of the band on the outside because they just thought it was too mm, weird. Too much. And I said like, how can it be too much for Steppenwolf, right? Yeah, yeah. So I've seen I've seen like a lot of really good art just turned down. Yeah. You know, I've had my own art turned down. I've had like whole things completely done, printed up put in the factory and never released. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I did one for a band called Dusty Drapes and the Dusters and, and the, the album got printed and everything and never got released. Yeah. I've also done like things where the record company, I would say in the 70s, the record companies had their own ideas and the artists had their own ideas. So a lot of times they would hire me to do two album covers. Uh, and right. a lot of times the artist's album cover would never get done because the idea was that I, they would send me over to his house, he would tell me what he wants, I would try to do what he wants to get, get it through sketch stages. And then they would tell me what they were gonna do. You know mm-hmm. without telling him mm-hmm. and then i would or her right. and then i would do like a, a one for them but i would do it more finished right yeah. and so then they would have meetings and things like that and say well we're really going to go with this one instead of this one even though that was your idea so the idea was <laughs> to like give him a choice knowing without giving, that they, them, without yeah. giving him a choice yeah yeah, yeah. so i, I just appeased so so it sounds times. like you're pretty
1: collaborative with with the artists right like you're you're spending time with them in person and
2: sometimes
3: right yeah yeah yeah
2: I have a lot of times sometimes you don't even see them right it's a manager you talk to
3: right right, right. sure the managers can become even harder
1: what's been the most interesting of those interactions in terms of like someone having ideas that really inspired you
3: um i enjoyed working with neil young on uh, russ never sleeps just because he let me do everything on it although he was he was like way way more specific than I'd, I'd want him to be but at the same time like working with him was fun because he was a real collaborator yeah except that he he had an idea that i thought was pretty funky at the time and it and i thought you know like i really want to do like a really cool neil young album cover and he had this idea of like uh, sort of this jawas uh, you know, raising a microphone over Iwo Jima or something like anyway, Russ Never Sleeps, if you ever saw the poster, it's like little Jawa characters, like in the raising a microphone. Okay. And he's like standing up on, on uh on the guitar cases or music cases and he's like playing his guitar. So he looks like, you know, the wind is blowing. You on did that. Him. Huh? You did that? Yeah, Russ Never Sleep. And then I did I mean, the, the names uh, just keep coming. And I did the yeah. you know, the titles for the movie. We'll too. All day with yeah, that. the
2: Beastie Boys are like low on the
3: list here, <laughs> I guess. I mean the Beastie Boys are probably the most complete collaboration of all time, but then What did you do with that? Ill communication. Okay.
2: Okay. Mm -hmm. And I think...
3: Uh, and that was an interesting impressive. one because Mike D, you know, like he came in and, and I don't know where he got this idea, but just like out of the blue he says, he said, you know, can you do like that that uh, architectural lettering, you know, like they do in high school, like mm-hmm. drafting class? Mm-hmm. I mean, it just so happened, and I was like, this is like something that I I still actually did at the time because yeah. I always dug that lettering. So I like started I lettered out his name and I lettered out the, the Beastie Boys name and all this stuff. He's like. That's exactly what i want he said can you create an alphabet like that yeah and he said we're going to like set all the type and, and the album cover so that's sort of there where it started then it cool. started out as kind of like a, a miles davis bitches brew kind of a look mm-hmm. and morphed beyond morphing into like all manner of things i mean there was a point where i was like i was up snowboarding in mammoth and and i got a call from him and he wanted a dog in a phone booth with a superman cape on and he said he just needed it sketched, and could I sketch it out and just, like, you know, fax it down to L.A.? Because that was, like, an idea. Yeah. And so, like, I'm up in Mammoth, so I'm, like, looking for a fax machine up there. And like, you drew it? Yeah. I know, send it in. Anyway, we ended up with the one you see where, like, the little guy with the, you know, at that squawk box or something like that, at the yeah. fast food drive-thru yeah. or something like that. Yeah.
2: And now you and Mike dear are neighbors, right? Yeah. You see him in the water ever? <laughs> never,
3: never. Yeah. <laughs> but it was uh, – that was interesting. I mean, we did so much work for that thing that, that we couldn't even, like, turn in the art. We just, like, sent – an entire hard drive mm-hmm. at that time over to, like, you know, the record company and just yeah. said, there you go. go it's for it. got everything on it. It's like, if you want to make changes, it's like every iteration of the album. Right. I mean, just, there's like 30 album covers on there.
1: <clears throat> wow. Go crazy with it. That's cool. That's so cool. Wait, Was there a time um, when you sort of realized the impact that your art was having? Like, you're out in the streets and you see somebody wearing a T-shirt or you see, like, did, was it? Was there a moment for you, or that that kind of struck
3: you? Hmm. The oh wow moment. I mean, in the beginning, I got my stuff got distributed pretty quickly, yeah. and really, that was my only goal. Um, I was like, I didn't really want to be a fine artist very much, and I kind of punished myself by being a total, almost a complete commercial artist, like just. You know concentrating almost solely on commercial art mm-hmm. and i wanted like my stuff to be seen like a coca-cola sign or something like that like i always admired that as a kid like i saw that lettering on the coca-cola sign i kept thinking wow who did that i wonder who did that so mm-hmm. I, well i really want like people to, like go through life wondering like who did this and who did that so once my stuff got hung in record stores i mean that yeah. was pretty much i'd already reached my first goal you, what was and, the first thing you saw in the record store the um alice coltrane album mm
1: her first album. So you walk in the store and it's hanging on the and wall. And it's on the show like, Hey, hey that's here. me. Right.
2: So so you know he did Lollapalooza too, right? So he did the okay. huge stage. So it's like, how, how tall were those? 20, 30 feet tall. 30 feet yes. tall characters that Jim did. Yeah.
3: But like seeing the stuff in the, all through the 70s, it was like that because everything I did, I did a lot of t-shirts. When I went to Hawaii, I did nothing but like t-shirts and posters and things like that. So everywhere I went, my stuff was. So I pretty much achieved my goal like, right out of the box it wasn't like I felt like well people kind of like think I suck and they're not really paying any attention to me right I thought like you know and then I saw the um the residual aspect of it was the fact that like once people saw something they wanted something more like that yeah you know and I and it became like its own self-fulfilling prophecy like say for instance if I I did a skateboard poster with a cowboy on it and then suddenly I got like like uh, country western album covers and and all sorts of things. So yeah. my rep would be getting, like, you know, they go, hey, people want more of this, like, th- that old-time cowboy thing. And so, like, I did, like, a lot of old-time cowboy stuff. And it was just because I had driven by, like, a, like a sign for, like, a, uh orange crate sign, and I really liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. So I did a skateboard poster. I wanted to, like, do orange crate, you know, mm-hmm. California. And I thought, like, what would be old California? I thought, hmm, Tom Mix or some cowboy, you know, with a big yeah. hat. You know, the friendly cowboy, you know, yeah. like, holding a skateboard like that. <laughs> the palm trees behind him. And... Everybody liked it. Yeah, but it was just I just did it because uh, I just, it kind of fit that orange crate label look.
1: So it's funny. I mean, because it sounds like you know you can sort of manipulate people's tastes, right? Like by showing them stuff that they they react to. Um, are you are you then conscious of that in your process? Like I'm going to create this because I want to do more of it, or I'm not going to create this because I don't want to.
3: No, I mean, of yeah. It. Once I once I saw the the how it worked, I became very conscious of it. Yeah. And I read uh, I read a lot of philosophy at one time, and I put a lot of um, philosophy into the work, like ideas of um, using color to manipulate people, using design to manipulate people, or causing people's eye to fall, you know, where I wanted it to. And I found that that I could, um, like like a graphic mu- magician, I could do what I wanted to do, like I could make people see what I wanted to see. So eventually, that became. Like, kind of important to me. Yeah. Like, I, I, would, uh, I would design a concept, and I wanted, like, you know, if I wanted to focus, like, right on one spot on the page, that would be, like, all I would concentrate on is, like, doing that. Like, do sure. the manipulation of color and form and, like, you know, fading or, you know, things being more in focus. And it would be like, you know, painting. I could paint a hand and, like, you know, the tips of the fingernails. You know, you'd have to look at that because there was something in that hand, right? Right. And then the face would be over here. And I knew that I could do that, and I – that really became – one of the things that that drove me to create more things like that yeah Is so that, i went from one thing to another like that
1: does it ever go wrong
3: hmm yeah i think i think at the end of the 70s i started getting too tight mm. yeah i mean so then we lead into a whole other area where it's like it's like my sense of precision like got so precise that like i was telling uh i was telling risk that um and we were talking about like forms and like doing letter forms and things like that. I said, I got to the point where I bought like every French curve, I mean old French curves, like swap beats and things like that, that I had to believe that if I couldn't find the curve on a French curve, that I wouldn't use that curve. <laughs> so like, for instance, I was doing like the lettering for Chicago for their album cover for the um, Hot Streets. where They, they did had the, light, logo, right? uh, yeah, Chicago, the logo, right? Yeah, the logo. They did Neon logo. Yeah, I mean, this thing Chicago. was only going to appear on the album about this big. Yeah. But I drew it like this big. I mean, it was a big, and then like every arc on there was like French curved. I mean, mm. first of all, I would draw it out by hand. Yeah. And then I would go in there with French curves and try to find every curve. And if I couldn't find a curve, I would redo the curve to make it mit. You know. Mm-hmm. So it became like like rules almost, like yeah. my own personal rules, building a you know a habitat for myself. So the I think at the end of the seventies, I was getting just tight. You know, it's like it was too too perfect. Mm-hmm. I couldn't break out of it. That's that's when uh, I got into the thing with Richard. And when he Do started, yeah, yeah, and he he was much looser, and he actually loosened me up a lot. Uh, yeah, in terms of like, you know, saying, you know, if he found out I didn't like a color, then he would use that color, you know. And with the collaboration. So it was like a band collaboration. <laughs> where we were like, a great partnership. You we know, were a jerk. He's going like, what chord like, don't you like? And I say, I, you know, I, I really hate A minor. He's like, well, let's make this song A minor. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, after a few years with him, that was, that was a really good thing for me because it took me yeah. from that, because I couldn't get away from it. It was sort of like I'd gone as far as I could and I, I just couldn't, I couldn't take that one thing any further. So then when I did the, 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 the rock posters in the 90s, you know, well, 89, 90, I went back to the comic book style that I did, like, in 69, and I tried to draw, like, kind of unsophisticated, you mm-hmm. know, like like I did then. So First it. of all, I, yeah, simple. I, I brought out my brushes, and I did, like, you know, brush stroke shading and things like that. So I limited myself in terms of, like, what, you know, I could do. How hard is it to go back? I find it. At first I found it hard then then I find it easier and easier yeah I think that any artist um especially fine artists you you want to go back I mean you want to go back you can't like help but to think about when you were uh a child yeah. like five or six years old when you would sit on the rug you know and and you get a bowl of grapes or something like that and you'd have like a little piece of paper and you were like drawing tanks and airplanes and things no, like so that man. yeah and all the things that you really enjoyed, like you really want to get back to like how excited you were mm-hmm. about like making that little war scene work or something like that while you're watching television, you know. Mm-hmm. So you, you definitely want to get back to. You don't want to get more sophisticated. You actually want to get less. Yeah. Because your techniques are like uh, like riding a bicycle. I mean, I could literally paint or draw almost anything I wanted to, in almost any medium that I wanted to. But why would I want to? Sure. You know, you yeah. got to have a reason to do it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that's a, you know I ask because I think. For a lot of artists, you know, musicians or or visual artists, right? Uh, You kind of start out and then something connects with an audience. And then that becomes the trajectory for everything else you create, right? We've seen that a lot in music where, you know, you have this one hit and then everything else sounds like that. Trying to follow it, yeah. And um, where maybe before everything didn't sound like that. That was just one thing they were doing. I think in a lot of cases, that wasn't the intention, right? It just sort of happened right but then you know you get stuck in that in the
2: um, rut
3: trying to recreate right th- that's that's the biggest problem i mean it, you put your finger on the biggest problem i mean any any musician or artist and there's a lot of them get stuck in that rut yeah i mean i've known a lot of people that, that have done it they just you know they do one thing and then everybody likes it and then they just keep doing that thing over and over again until, until finally it's burnt, until people stop like it. yeah they yeah. did get arrested for doing it anymore right, right?
1: yeah and it And so, how do you keep yourself out of that?
3: It's been easy for me just because I get bored really quickly. Mm. I mean, I get bored with myself, so it hasn't been difficult for me. And I've tried. You know, I've jumped for. I mean, when you look at what I've done, I've jumped pretty successfully from one thing to another, like going from like really funky underground cartoons to pretty sophisticated album covers and like and like. uh, high-end advertising, I mean, by the mid-70s I was doing, you know, advertising for Try It Day and, and all those things, so yeah. what I did was, uh, I mean, I had like sort of this, this weird moment when I was in Hawaii where I was, I, I brought in all my cartoons and, and this uh, advertising agency, like, had called me in because they'd seen the cartoons and there wasn't that many people in, in, in Hawaii that did that kind of thing and they asked me to do, like, they said, could you could you do like little funny airplanes, you know, like flying over pineapple fields on the islands and stuff like that and we just put our logo on it, and I said, yeah, I mean, I could, I could do that, and it's like Okay, so we'll pay like five for it. And I said, I'm thinking, because I used to get like 500 bucks for like a a full comic book. Right. You know, maybe yeah. 250 for a t-shirt. And a, they gave you five grand. And they gave me like five grand for drawing like a little, you know, like a little cartoon airplane. Yeah. And I'm thinking, in my head, I'm thinking this is like free money. <laughs> you know? You're like, we need to do more of this. <laughs> sure. I said, so you want a little cartoon airplane for, and you want like a little cartoon pineapple and things like that? And I'd yeah. like Okay, yeah. I could do that, yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Had you always wanted to do uh, brand stuff, advertising, or, did, or was that like was
3: that
1: a compromise for you? Or was no, it I actually had. That I had. That was, like, that
3: was another part of my punishment uh, <laughs> of myself because I had seen – I had I'd grown up on, on uh, really sophisticated advertising in the 60s. And also in the 60s, advertising uh, illustrators and type designers and things like that were probably the most left-wing, outspoken mm. purveyors of, like, politics – in America, sure. I mean, you had uh, Milton Glaser and Seymour Quas and all those guys, like doing all these different al- um, magazines and posters and things like that. So I saw like these guys like putting really sophisticated work, you know, which I saw like almost hypnotic type work. I mean, these guys, these guys were like masters of imagery, and they were like telling people what to think and what to say and and how to think. And yeah. I thought, you know, I like that idea, the idea of like propaganda. So I saw my work as like as like uh, kind of propaganda of like what goes on in my mind you know like my viewpoint Mm -hmm. and i could like like getting it out through advertising and things like that would just be another way to get it out like for instance if they'd hired me to do like cartoon characters you know i could like you know cartoonize like a whole thing that normally hadn't been cartoonized before and that kind of pleased me and i like that idea but i i had been very influenced by advertising in the 60s i mean seeing like you know i mean there was some that was probably the golden age of of advertising. That's the Mad
2: Men, right?
3: Yeah, the Mad Men. Yeah. And so like in my mind, that was always in the back of my mind. So like when the, when the shot came, I thought, I mean, I understood completely what to do with it. Yeah. And I jumped right into it. So when I came back to the mainland, besides for doing the, the album cover, they did a lot of advertising art.
1: Mm-hmm. Any pieces you're, you're most proud of or that stand out to you?
3: Most of the stuff just like faded into the woodwork. I mean, yeah. they would pay like $10,000 to do a baseball. You know, and then they would have it like on a dodger billboard or something right. like that, so yeah. a lot of that stuff just becomes like a piece of something else, sure you know it never i mean, I got kind of tired of that. I did a lot of uh magazine illustration like I did uh mm-hmm. you know a thing for uh Timothy leary, but mostly men's magazines men's magazines were paying a lot more, and they were yeah. doing like big double truck spreads, so there was like an article about Timothy Leary after he got out of prison, he'd written an article about uh you know, his experiences in prison, so I illustrated that for, I think, uh, We Magazine. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of stuff for We Magazine and, mm-hmm. and different magazines and worked for a lot of art directors. Mm-hmm. But those, some of those things kind of stood out. But still, they were really just sophisticated illustrations. Yeah.
1: Did you have mentors helping you figure this stuff out, or were you just uh, completely on your own? Um,
3: I met a lot of really good art directors. I mean, uh, Dean Torrance from Jan and Dean. Him and i like hit it off really well when i came back from hawaii and and uh, i did the beach boys stuff with him mm-hmm. and some of his stuff um
1: is did, did there anything that he taught you that
3: i would that say everybody remember? everybody along the way actually taught me things mm. i mean you're wondering like like where did i learn these techniques
1: yeah i mean not so much the the art techniques but more just how to think about your business and your brand and your you know where you're going like did you like are you just You know are you figuring that out all on your own or or i'm always curious about the help we get along the way
3: i would say that that, uh everybody that 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 i work with actually helped me quite a bit and i probably picked their brains for like every possible detail i mean anytime i went into something say for instance if i went into a print shop and i had a print job i would try to learn like everything there was about printing every detail about it so when i met rick for instance you know the first thing i asked him was like how he did the color separations on his poster because i couldn't i couldn't figure out like from what i knew how these things were done. Yeah. And he showed me this technique that was like, uh, where he got like these blue lines. For instance, he did like, he had entire thing in black and white, right? Then he would send it up to San Francisco and they had this Osles machine and a big print shop up there that could make a blueprint reproduction of his drawing that didn't shrink. Like previously, all blueprint drawings shrunk slightly, so it made it impossible to do these things. Mm. So what he'd do is he put registration marks on his black and white and he'd get four pieces back and he was able to draw like in on every one of those pieces and send the whole mess to the printers and they were able to line up everything mm-hmm. and that's how he created those like beautiful like grateful dead album covers with like all those benday screens layers, yeah like going you know? yeah and he also told me about this little uh plastic thing where it had like all the benday screens and like 10 20 30 40 50 60 whatever the percentage were And you could pull them out and you could lay them on top of one another so when you're like doing this thing you'd know exactly what Angle to put the screens on top of one another so when they laid they wouldn't create like a moire pattern. That was another thing I couldn't figure out is how you could like mix these screens together without getting crazy moires, you know? Right. So there's like two techniques he taught me that I used probably all through the 70s wow. to do really sophisticated uh, color separations. Yeah. And I say everybody, everybody I met probably taught me something and in most cases I used it. I mean, uh, like Robert Williams like I was I was way into like uh, rapidograph pens, like we're in my rapidograph pen. So then I went, I did a comic jam with him and I see him with this brush and he's like doing this shit with the brush. And I'm like, dude, where does that brush? You know, how how do you do that? And he's like, sounds yeah, like a, you know, Thayer Chandler, you know, double odds, like all this. So I immediately went to the art store and bought a Thayer Chandler, double lot, you know loaded it up i couldn't do anything with it but i just like tried over and over and over again to get that sophisticated line that i saw mm-hmm. and i did it finally i mean then i it. end up huh? finally got it yeah and say so you see in the taz posters all of it is all done with the, the brush yeah man
1: eddie who's been mentors for you and what, what's somebody touching
3: um i don't know
2: i think danny boy was probably a big influence in my life um he was a genius at you know connecting people and the dots and mm. seeing the future and I kind of got with him, and that's kind of where I kinda think I took off the most. You know, kind of got into marketing through him. And then, uh, I don't know, Jim's an influence on me, too. Like, watching him work is, is, is amazing, and kind of how he breaks things down. How'd and, you guys meet? Uh, I think Ben Yod took me to Atomic Pop for a job, like a street team job, or James Lopez actually took me over there, I think, to do a street team job, and he was a creative director at the time.
3: Mm. Nice. Yeah. It was a funny place because they brought all these young guys in, you know, like him and and uh, what's his name from uh, Seventh Letter,
2: Casey. Yeah, mm-hmm.
3: yeah, like Casey actually did like a piece of uh, graffiti for me. Way oh, back right? in the day, a little jazz yeah. yeah.
2: piece. He still has it, right? Yeah. Or you have it. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. I remember the Atomic Pop days. We I came close to doing a deal with Al. Yeah. I don't even remember what it was. Something with Raymond. For it might have been it might have been Herb Music. We were trying to. Put at the, the time yeah i was at den across the street yeah actually, yeah and then you like brought Patty us in corner. at den yeah i think we, we went it? i think uh we didn't do anything because they went out of business but like we got close day. yeah yeah like uh, we're like having a meeting with them they're going to send us an offer and then we get a call probably from Eddie that like fire sale on their furniture <laughs> let's, let's by the way there.
2: gary gersh is announcing tomorrow that we're closing
1: yeah mm-hmm. uh it's interesting. Crazy times. But, you know, I think it's, it's interesting. I'm curious to know for you, you know, you go from creating these, you know, iconic pieces of art that are going to live forever on album covers or in logos or on posters um, to the digital era where everything is very functional. It's also very fleeting. Mm-hmm. And so how does that change your approach? Uh...
3: Well, that fire I told you about had something to do with it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> that I mean, that, that probably pushed me into that approach a little bit more. I would have probably gone a lot slower since my natural thing is not to play with computers. But I was fascinated about what computers do. Yeah. Although the fact that, that it is so fleeting uh, and ephemeral, that bothers me. But it yeah. kind of bothers me in the back of my mind. There's not anything I can do about it exactly. I'm yeah. not sure. I mean, you think about like all the par- you know photos that your parents have like from – you know the 30s and 40s and 50s, and even though they're they're crappy little photos, they are little photos that you yeah. can still hold, and are sitting in a shoebox somewhere in the closet. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like so many families now just take all that stuff and put it on whatever you yeah. know, and it's not going to be really anywhere. That that's it's, it's going to be on something, some drive that you can't even hook up to anything, right? Right. Yeah. Or so you that, can't find. Right. You know. Well, I just
2: find
1: that you know, now you know everything's in the cloud, but there's so many photos. Like you know, I have like a hundred thousand photos sitting on a drive on a right. cloud somewhere that. I can find them. I can I can never yeah. have time to look through Go them. Through. Right. You yeah. know, it's not like you sit the old days on the couch and flip through a photo album and reminisce. Like you you sort of lose that.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Well, you know, I'm sure I I would imagine a lot of your contemporaries um couldn't make that transition to digital. Right. Or that it was really hard for them, right? Cuz it, it is. A, it's a different thought process. It's probably a different motivation. Um so was that like a is that a struggle for you or, or like, I mean, as you said, there's a fire that sort of wiped away a lot of the physical evidence.
3: I wouldn't, say, I wouldn't say it was a struggle. I mean, I haven't had a hard time ever like, you know, for me, the future is always better than the past just because it's the future. So I don't have a hard time like Jeez. really accepting the future yeah. uh, under any circumstances, even if it's not like I don't really look back at the past and say, wow, it was like, you know, really pretty cool when I was living on the beach in Hawaii. I wish I could live like that for eternity. Did I mean you, I, I really you, couldn't I could have if I wanted to, but
1: I didn't want to, so did you learn that somewhere, or has that just been with you from birth
3: what what I just did, said
1: yeah, to be more excited about the future than the past?
3: I just always have been, I'm not sure exactly why it's been it's been easy for me, so it's like people say like you know how how can you change so easily it's like it's easy because you know it's like like new music, you know even though like i could i listen I'll listen to music and I say, why wow, you know I'm completely familiar with that music, I can still like appreciate like the You know, the fact that the guy was born, like, in, you know, 1989 or something like that is making the music. So, like, he's listening to music that was, like, you know, like, uh, you know, old Mm -hmm. a long time ago. Mm -hmm. So it's not really, you got to, like, listen to things with new ears and see it with new eyes, or else you can't really possibly grow. I mean, and growth in terms of, like, age is not easy for people to do. I mean, I think the natural thing is for people to, like, stop growing. They just get, like, kind of crabby, and it's like, yeah. Well, everybody's listening to this music, and that kind of sucks, you know. And it's like now they're putting everything on, and plus these things here, like what the hell are these? What right. you know? So, so sounds like, like me,
2: huh? It sounds like
3: me. Well, there's
1: a lot of evidence, or some evidence, that like people, your music taste freezes at 26. Yeah, for most for the average really? person, yeah. And uh, and you're like, you know, and I think you're it like, just getting going. It's kind of learn new stuff, but but you're locked into like this is my music right of whatever that is that's why there's classic rock that's why there's now classic hip hop stations right? mm-hmm. and there'll be you know there's the 80's classic format right? and you know that all has to adapt because each new generation gets it's stuck in on. the past yeah. right I think it's really tempting right because you you know you got other stuff to think about
3: well, for me, to rehash the past wouldn't, wouldn't really be, you know, wouldn't do me any good. I mean, yeah. I got, like, a little box in the back of my head where I keep the junk that I need. But, I mean, your head's going to be full of just crap. I mean, yeah. and you're going to fill it with new crap, like, all the time. So you really got to decide, like, what kind of crap you want in your head, you know? Yeah. For me, I, like, filter the crap and just put in the stuff that I need. So the future is, is is a fortunate place to be just because there's, like, fresh stuff coming in. And in order to, like, operate, I really have to, like, sort of live... Like I hadn't done all the other stuff before, I can't so really nostalgia. like drag oh, no, yeah. nostalgia. Yeah, you, I can't yeah. drag the nostalgia with me. Otherwise, I mean, I can go bathe in it anytime I want to. At some point, I'll, I'm going to get really old and like sit somewhere and just like think, like, dude, you used to be someone. You know? yeah. you know? I'll be bumping somebody like, hey, look me up online, man. That's like the, that's a crazy shit I did. Yeah, I was, was in like the 60 years magazine. ago, but, huh? yeah. hey. <laughs> so I mean, so that the thing is, you know, you sort of get that for free. At some point, you you can't fight against the tide any longer. Yeah. Right. But as yeah. long as you can, you really should. Yeah, I think.
1: And what about um so you know you had you had these goals, right? Like to be, you know, to make an impact as an artist, to have your stuff seen, you know, and it, you've you've accomplished those as mm-hmm. you said really early on and and so many since then. So are there new goals? Like what propels you to to keep keep growing?
3: I think it's like uh you know, I guess say for instance if you're an author or something like that, uh and you haven't like written a book that you, the the book you really wanted to write or something like that, or you like you spent all your life like writing ad copy and things like that. So, I've got um, it's like I really haven't done exactly what I want to do, even though I've done a lot of stuff. Yeah. There's like, you know, some of the things I've done with Eddie, even some of the album covers. I mean, not the album covers, but the uh, the posters and things like that have been exciting just because you know it's like it's like a fresh approach. Yeah. So can you talk about the stuff you guys are doing together? Yeah, go ahead. Start.
2: Well, I mean, we're doing a lot. I'm trying to do the best I can to bring him some cool commercial work. Okay. I mean, that's kind of how it started. He's like, hey, let's find some cool stuff to do. It's not yeah. about the money. It's more about the cool stuff. Um, but right now we're working on a show with Risky, a PD okay. artist. They're going to collaborate. What's the name of the show? i can't remember we just named it yesterday or he named it yesterday we'll we'll post it yeah so we're doing a show with risky they're going to collaborate on some cool stuff at buckshot gallery
1: and is that you guys are creating new work to show together or is it you're showing
2: yeah they're going to do some some new stuff some Uh new originals and then they're going to also show some of their older stuff as well which i think is cool because if you think about it he's such a giant kelly's such a giant yeah if they you know come together and start hitting heads it could be pretty pretty so something like that is exciting for me yeah
3: yeah because then then you can use you know what you've done and and work with someone like him and create something completely new yeah
2: and then we also resurrected the pop the pop icons yes from the was that 80s right yeah yeah the that? stuff i did with richard guardo yeah he has a whole show of pop icons uh who is it uh frank sinatra elvis yeah. no These are like por- portraits yeah 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 but like total 80s sure. cool big fun stuff we also nice. have a show in dallas now we did oh, a cool. show in palm springs during modernism week so that was fun right
3: to see yeah that but stuff that was just again. a bunch of stuff that was like sitting in the closet and he discovered it when i was he was up looking at some posters yeah. he just saw like this marilyn monroe and he goes what the hell is that you know? and Jimi
2: hendrix billy idol right. sylvester Stallone. yeah did a lot of stuff apollonia or who was uh what's the girl's name Oh, the wow. singer she was a laker girl or something, right, something. Right, right, right. Right. paul abdul. abdul Abdul was country, yeah. yeah that's who it was right yeah yeah
3: i mean there was like a four-year period of time where i did all this stuff with richard and yeah. we we had like uh we had a hookup with playboy magazine where they were they were having us do uh, illustrations we did some album covers we did uh you know, we did things for madonna and different people for special events and mm-hmm. plus we had galleries that were like showing the work so for like a short period of time i worked with richard downtown and we just cranked out these personality pieces. It was almost like a trunk a of the '80s, and it changed me completely. And yeah. I, I don't know where it and sent it's, him. And it's
2: cool. It's cool work too. Like it's yeah. now. Like it, mm-hmm. it could work now. That's what. Yeah, we put a lot of work into it. it. It's nice. kinda timeless.
1: Yeah. Well, you talk about you know this era when magazines were so influential, and I think you know that's certainly over. Um, yeah. Uh, what do you look to now for for inspiration or for
3: you know? to
1: to kind of inform your work
3: I mean right now I guess what I like is the fact that almost um from a uh, from the aspect of like what is referential almost anything goes it's it's really not like a you know I, I I went through you know the period of time like starting in you know probably like my my brain career, like, started in the early 60s or right. mid-60s, started rolling. But, like, everything moved along at that time as, like, like a, a chunk of pop culture that would, like, have a beginning, middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. And then the end would, like, fade out, and then everything from that particular period would be old and, like, uncool, and all the new stuff would be, new, you know, new and cool. Right. And then you just went from era to era to era. And finally, it's like, that has, like, faded away and become, like, amorphous in a way that, like, everything almost exists simultaneously. Mm-hmm. So I'm I, I, I'm fascinated now because I can almost choose anything for any period and utilize it and it kind of fits right. I mean the mind the mind of the, of the consumer and the visual mind of like of like uh, you know the young people that are looking at things either movies or listening to pop music it's almost like more wide open than it ever has been like maybe less judgmental mm-hmm. and like people could say like well because they like see so much stuff they don't know what they're looking at maybe but at the same time, they're actually looking at more stuff and they're absorbing more stuff. So you can, right. you can bring something from almost any place. You can say almost anything you want to say and people seem to be kind of open to the idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I'd say that there's more fresh ideas. I mean, there's really more music now than there ever has been in some ways. I mean, Absolutely. and like everything is good. I mean, it's, a lot of stuff is good, but I mean, not that like, you know, the Foo Fighters are like the biggest band in the world, but still they're making, you know, still making good music. Right. Beyonce's doing what she's doing. I mean, you got a lot of people doing what they're doing. Yeah. And I would say that I get excited by the fact that it's it's uh, sort of a we live in a democracy of imagery at the moment
1: well we do and I, and I think that has interesting implications for for your business right because you know uh it used to be necessary to have somebody like you to create the album artwork the poster whatever now you know every kid has uh
2: you know, a design studio oh, yeah right
1: in their pocket and there's you know canva and there's all these free tools or wh- whatever and it's you know I would say it's easy to make stuff that's good enough right and um, so you know my question is how does that change the game for you how do you stay I don't know if competitive is the right word but how do you sort of differentiate
3: yourself in that environment <sighs> Well, I mean, the lucky thing for me now is I've got, like, this giant body of work behind me, so I'm not, like, having to, like, start from scratch and, like, compete head-to-head with all these people. Right. Right, so when they look at it, they see all this other stuff, so I become, like, the the sum total of everything I've done up to this point rather than just me. Yeah. So that makes one part of it easier. I mean, I look at someone like Grimes, and I get fascinated because she seems like like a shut-in who does interesting artwork, makes really interesting music, has like created her own computer out of her bedroom mm-hmm. and like done really, really well with it. And I've actually paid music uh, money for her albums and listened to it. Yeah. So something like that like inspires me, like it, it doesn't help my career at all, but at the same time, it inspires me to think that like, that there's people like that now everywhere. Yeah, doing yeah, that sort of thing. A
2: multi-level creative.
3: Right. Yeah. So there's, there's always a, a market for someone who has a, a unique vision, I think no matter what, right. you know, be it in music, be it in writing, uh, or be it in art. So, do you, I don't know how much you talk to, to
1: young artists coming up, trying to find their way, I'm sure you do. Um, and, and obviously that journey is very different they're facing than what you faced right. in, in decades past, right? So what do you, um, what either one of you, what, you know, what do you tell artists that are you know, young guys today trying to, trying to make their way in in a career making art,
2: you that's want to a big start? question. I mean, for me, it's mostly like these street art graffiti kids that are mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to break out. Yeah, and I suggest them to not even try at this point because I think it's kind of, I mean, the whole the whole thought process behind it's different. Now it's like I'm doing this to get famous so I can sell my work. Instead, right. if I'm doing this from a passionate place and and I want to be better than the next guy, you know. What I mean? So stay so, in the
1: streets. Just keep doing what you're doing.
2: Yeah, I mean, I you know kids come to me how can i be the best graffiti artist how can i get known you know and it's like with what these kids are doing nowadays you can't beat the the zesses and the sabers and the revokes like no graffiti artist is ever going to come up with anything as cool as the stuff that they've done so i just tell them try something else <laughs> you know and and okay. and it's it's unfortunate you don't, but even you mean if try you're talented, some, Do you mean try a different career or do you mean, I'm mean like yeah for me i'm getting a lot of kids that are trying to get into that lane when yeah. the lane is already closing sure you know i don't deal with a lot of like graphic designers who's
1: the last um
2: artist you've seen come up that
1: has opened up a lane for themselves
2: i mean there's a lot but that i like i would say retina okay you know i like what retina's done Mm -hmm. i think he's gonna but he's not a young guy well i mean not to call him out but he's fairly so considering the you know, his body of sure. work, right? Like yeah. this is his first kind of run with what he's doing now. Okay. I'm sure he's gonna have a couple other ones if he yeah. sticks around, mm-hmm. you know, like this is his style now, it's gonna morph into this and then it's gonna be that. But and I think of I think of,
1: you know, Shepard in a way Shepard too. Created a new style of art, right? Or or he um well, he created a lane for that art. He wasn't the first guy doing it. Not at but, all. But but he was but he was the first guy to take that and, and make it into a business yeah right? for sure a very so, good business so um and so then people have followed him so now there's a bunch of wannabe shepherds right uh because he was able to have that success So i'm curious like he, he's the last guy i think of to kind of open a lane in that sense in the way that the graffiti guys did or in, in the way that you and your contemporaries did right in terms of creating something that um from a business perspective wasn't really there before
2: yeah i can't think of anybody Besides, like Redner or Shepard, mm-hmm. I mean, you think about Dabs and Mila; they have that cartoony style. But yeah. a lot of people do that. They've probably sure. at the forefront of that right now yeah. in popularity.
1: Yeah. Um. So back to my question about music: like, can you do that in art? Can you, can you blow the doors oh, you can. open
3: again? I mean, look at look at Shepard. Shepard, the, the thing that makes Shepard dangerous or dangerous in terms of like you know, dangerous. say if you say, if art is like a you know like a weaponized concept, the, the idea that that an artist is a, you know, a warrior of some kind or another as opposed to just like somebody who just draws pictures. Like you're talking about like somebody deciding going to go out and thrust himself into like the, the pop culture consciousness. Yeah. So at that point, then you become like a bit of a warrior. You grab your sword or your pen or whatever it is like that, and you head out and do battle with all the other gladiators that are like doing battle. Like Shepard came into the thing, and at first he all, all he had was that dumb little sticker, right? Mm-hmm. But the thing about Shepard is a guy has a philosophy, like a really deep-seated philosophy and believes like, Ex- not only in what he does, but he knows how to like be lucid about that. Yeah. How to write things about it? How to like build like an entire empire of words yeah. and concepts around like everything he does. So he didn't have to do very much in the beginning, and the fact is he hasn't really changed his style. I mean, you talk about sticking to the style. He's like done like a bazillion variations on one single style. Right. Yeah. And like, done it kind and of people brilliantly. Are yeah. huh? and people are still yeah. loving yeah, it. And people are still loving it. Yeah. So, when, when you got that, it would be idiotic for him to, to try to break out of it because it is, you know, it is what it is. I mean,
2: he has kind of evolved, though. He's got textures and, and he does the collage stuff in the right. back. So, it's not so two dimensional or one dimensional, you know. So, he is kind of growing in that way.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think about that a little bit, like, and, you know, I follow Shepard, you know, pretty closely. Um, but, you know, I think about it struck me because I, I have seen a little bit of evolution. I think in some ways it's it's still very much the same thing, but it's definitely evolved. Um, but you know, you think about him relative to like a Picasso, who goes, who has these periods, right? And where everyone hates the new thing and then they come to love it and then they right. you know, and he moves on, you reinvent yeah. and and all that stuff. And it, you know, and it, that kind of makes me wonder, like. Does that happen for a Shepard or for a Futura or for a Hayes, right? Can these guys build these multi-decade careers where they're sort of constantly reinventing their style? And I think, you know, again, you've done that um, in, in many ways, but as you said, you're you're a commercial artist, right? And so you're responding to the client, All right, right? Or, or to the, the piece of work that you're being given to
2: yeah but the that. stuff he's doing now for himself is definitely different than the stuff he was doing 10 years ago it's like sure. it's, it's it's more psychedelic he's getting real psychedelic with the with the patterns and the layers and the stuff that he's doing like i'm always trying to get him simple it simple down a little bit because we can't we can't really see what you see you know we're not ready for that yet so he's definitely different as well than you know 10 years ago
3: yeah so what you were saying is like where would i develop from here and probably like into fine art know like actually doing something that I felt like doing as opposed to doing something on yeah. command yeah is that harder? I think so yeah because I mean as an artist I could sit down and do almost anything I want to do but like exactly what do I want to do yeah I mean so for for a lot of you know for a lot of decades I haven't really you know Been doodle. Able to do what you want to do no I mean when I talk on the phone I doodle so I've got like books of like weird little doodles and things like that so you so say those. that's like sort of my natural style right yeah and they're like little monsters and you know cartoony things and strange cities and that sort of thing, Just but uh, yeah, I think I think that the thing most impressive about Shepard though is the fact that he's he's uh, he knows exactly what he wants to do and he's able to talk about it. Yeah, and uh, and do it. Yep.
2: I mean, for me, I think the biggest thing is the buildings. Like now, it's buildings. It's not walls. Right. You know, like yeah. Retina did the American Apparel building, and that's a monster. And Shepard's mm-hmm. doing five, six, eight stories. You know, murals. I think that to me is. One of the most exciting progressions of the art form, whether it be street art or graffiti or graphic design, it's like to drive down the street and see these murals, you know, is, to me is pretty. And pretty,
3: there's not such a big impressive. battle about what's fine art and what's commercial art anymore right. either. I mean, yeah. there's definitely, I mean, in the 60s, there was like people were getting like just, you know, knock down, drag out battles about, sure. it, you know, the fact of like, you know, that's commercial art and that's fine art. Is
2: shepherd fine art or commercial art? Or both?
3: I mean, Shepard comes from a commercial art background. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. I mean, as a straight commercial designer, most of his stuff is like for something, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he yeah. Lo- he loves to decorate T-shirts or like any kind of surface.
1: Yeah.
3: But it, he he, de- he like fall you know he walks between art and commerce for sure, and he'd be like probably the best fusion artist there is in terms yeah. of like people accepting him as a straight artist and even accepting his commercial work as art. Yeah, absolutely. So he's he's certainly done a lot to like redefine that that particular area. Yeah, I mean he brought the print game back in a big
2: way. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. It had kind of slowed down, and then now everyone's doing prints, and now all the ba- all the bands are t- taking prints on tour, which we're lucky to do some cool stuff lately. Um, yeah, so the yeah.
3: revival of like uh, of rock posters too is kind of interesting. You know, when you think like it kind of faded away. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the early nineties, it, it 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 didn't even exist, and suddenly it existed. You know, and it was everywhere.
2: What I think is fascinating is Shepard will release them and they'll be $40. And then two days later, they're $400. Of course. It's like it's the magic buy paper of, to magic make of paper. eBay. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You buy paper to make paper. It's kind, of, it's kind of crazy to think about that.
1: Absolutely. Well, I know we're almost out of time. And I, I know you, uh, you guys have busy schedules to That's get true. to. But um, I have a couple, couple last questions. Um, what are the biggest sacrifices you've made in your career?
3: Hmm. Probably not being able to enjoy myself as much as I'd like to. I mean, in order to do artwork, you have to like spend a lot of time by yourself just drawing, and I'm I, my body naturally wants to be outside surfing or, or doing something else. And like I've spent, I mean, I've, I've had to force myself and trick myself and and basically connive myself into like sitting at that freaking desk <laughs> for like longer. I mean. It was certainly worse like in the 70s when I had like, you know, I was like learning as I went. So I was like pushing myself all the time. I mean, now I have my techniques down so I can work a lot faster. But in those days I had like, you know, I'd have like six or seven jobs at a time. Mm -hmm. And these were all jobs that I had to paint Mm -hmm. or draw or like logos or, you know, things like that. Like I did a logo for Don Kirchner's rock concert. He just like calls out of the blue. Somebody says, like, this guy Don Kirchner, I'd never heard of him. Have you heard? No. Oh, it was like a big rock concert thing in the 70s. Yeah. You can he was a promoter. Huh? He was a promoter. He was a promoter, yeah. Okay. He called me from New York. Who played? Huh? Who was playing? Everybody was on it. Okay. On the show? Yeah. Oh, yeah, look it up on YouTube, yeah, Don yeah. Kirchner's Rock Concert. You'll see everybody on it. But I'd never heard of this guy, and I had, like, already six other jobs, and so he calls up, and he wanted a logo. And it was, that was the way it was for almost a decade. I mean, at the end of the decade, my success had almost, like, completely crushed me. I mean, I, I, I didn't hardly go out much. I mean, I had to, you know, I was always the desk. I mean, I missed a lot of days surfing. Just, you know, I couldn't tell whether it was day or night. I'd have to close the blinds, you know, just because I didn't want to see the daylight anymore. Yeah. So I would say, like, like having to, like, shut off and not do things because I had to work. Work is. I've had to work a lot harder than I thought I would. Yeah. In the beginning, it was kind of embarrassing. I almost tried to hide it because I thought that it was kind of weird. Right. You know, I could do what I wanted to do, but it took a lot longer than I thought it would.
1: Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, and I think, like, now we like to say how busy we are, like, that's the thing, right, like, you go, how you doing, oh, man, I'm slammed, right, Uh, that's just the thing you say, you know, but, but I think, you know, I, I think back then you kind of wanted, it was
3: more like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not working that hard, like, I'm, you you kind of have to hide it. I mean, on the other hand, like working at home uh, or in my studio, I was able to watch my kids grow up. So I'm probably yeah. better than most dads in terms of, like, having been around for all their didn't games and things like house. that. Yeah, huh? didn't have to leave the house. Right. So have
1: you found ways to, to find more of that balance now? Yeah.
3: yeah. Well, I mean, I, I live in Malibu, right. so I can I can throw my board in the car and go surfing, you know, instead of eating lunch. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I still work really hard, but I, I don't have to do all-nighters. I mean, in the 70s, I did, I did all-nighters, like, three and four times a week. Yeah. I mean, there was, my sleep patterns were like, like a vampire. Sure. It was <laughs> completely inside out. Yeah. And also, you didn't have, you couldn't send everything. So. Right. Depending on where you lived, I mean, I had to actually go to meetings, so yeah. I had to like go to record companies and like having after having not slept all night and <laughs> drop something yeah. on the desk, you know, and then the guy would look at it and he goes like, "Oh, that's great," he said. But can you make the sky <laughs> a little bit, you know? And I'd be like, yeah, "Okay." And that meant that I had to actually go back and repaint the sky. Yeah. Another all nighter. Yeah. yeah. And on those things, it wasn't that easy because I mean, oftentimes i I'd, I'd have to like basically cut out the sky and remove it from the illustration board, paint it on another thing, and then cut yeah. it out and then put it in place and then retouch it where it was. Yeah. Do the, I mean, that was the fastest way to do it because yeah. I worked – because, I, you know, they would have me do, like, a movie poster in, like, a weekend. Uh-huh. I mean, they would call me on Thursday, and they want something on their desk on Monday. Yeah. And that's, like, pretty fast to paint a movie poster. So I painted with, um, like, dyes, you know, airbrush and dyes and things like that and pencils. So I could work really, really fast, except that it's, like, merciless. I mean, if you make a mistake, it's done. Yeah. If you have to redo something, I mean, you basically got to cut it out because you can't, you can't get rid of the dye. Basically, the dye dyes itself right into the board, so it, it creates beautiful colors. But like any mistake is, you know, say the airbrush spurts, mother mm-hmm. well just tear it up and throw it away. Yeah. <laughs> and in retouch jobs, I would do like big retouch jobs, and and that was the same kind of a thing. I'd have to buy like a, a four hundred and fifty dollar print, and then you know retouch with one of these little tiny airbrushes to, you know, for an album cover. And it was, crazy. It was crazy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It, I mean, it's. it's if you think about how easy this stuff is now it, by comparison, it's unbelievable.
3: I mean, I felt like my hand was like like as steady as like a, like a brain surgeon. Yeah. I mean, because sure. you know, holding that thing, I mean, I could just like, you yeah. know. <laughs> I'm sure.
1: Yeah, we don't we don't have such steady hands.
3: I'm good. Yeah,
1: it's not bad.
2: But I can't draw. So
3: it was a it was a it was a give and take, but definitely yeah. the that got really old. Yeah, so I was glad to move away from that a little bit. Yeah. I, mean, I couldn't have. If I'd have kept that up, I'd, yeah, I'd have been dead for sure. Yeah. Well, uh, okay, last couple questions.
1: For you, favorite DJ?
2: Mm. Mm. Uh, damn, I would say Adam, A.M., you know? Yep. I think what he did was magnificent. Then I'd say probably, yeah, I'd go with A.M. Okay. You?
1: Well, uh, I mean, I always say Jeff. Okay. That's all Jazzy Jeff yeah. for me is. But, you know, that's, it's like there's a long list of guys that are
2: on that, hugely influential. Yeah, on that one spot. He's yeah. the
1: one that just turns out. And So I know you're a rock guy. Uh, if you if you got a DJ for us, but uh, otherwise, your favorite live show.
3: I mean, Grandmaster Flash, is he kind of the DJ? Sure. Of course. Yeah. Can be. I would, say, I would say Grandmaster Flash was like a real life changer for me. I, I went to see a show when he first came to L.A., and it was like it was like one of those kind of things where you like you've seen the future. Yes. I didn't even know what I was looking at. I walked in there and it was like a guy like standing up there with like like somebody had taken like pieces of cardboard and stuff like that and painted crap all over behind him, yeah. which was like obviously urban you know right. urban graffiti, right, but right. they brought it Early, from New York yeah, and just put yeah. it behind him. So it was like right up on Sunset Boulevard. And then the guys like playing this crap on turntables, and I'm like, so where's the band? You know? Right. And yeah. I'd heard the music and I liked the music, but I thought I there was going to be like a soul band or something. Instruments, right? yeah. Yeah, it hey, yeah. was just this guy anyway yeah. so what year was that 79 78 yeah 79 yeah it was like he just brought New York to a yeah. club here and, and you know and everybody was the same as me we're just like oh, uh, yeah. uh, what's that
1: well that's another one of those nights right, that <laughs> right. like it's different than it was yesterday, you know? Yeah, and
3: that's why I, that's why I said
2: AM for me, yeah. because AM brought show, the D you know, the DJ show to another level. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about cutting and scratching and, you know, transforming anymore. It was about actually making, combining music and mashing up and, like, you yeah. know, definitely for hip-hop, DJ kind of took it to the next level, you know? Z-Trip yeah. as well. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Z-Trip doesn't, was, they're different, you know? They're mm-hmm. the same but different, mm-hmm.
3: you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for being here. I'm excited to see the show and the, and the stuff you guys are doing and uh, come back anytime. There's something to promote. I know we're going to do more together as Rebel Radio and Gorilla One. That's right. So I appreciate you uh, making this happen. Mm-hmm.
2: All right. This nice. fun. Anything for
1: Okay, okay. That was Taz. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Good stuff from that man the first in our Artwork Rebels series in partnership with Guerrilla One. Thank you, Eddie Donaldson, for making that happen. Look out for more Artwork Rebels talks here on Rebel Radio coming up. In the meantime, leave us a review at iTunes, hit us on Twitter, Facebook, and come to the Rebel Radio site, rebelradio.net. And before I let you go, Rebel Radio is sponsored by Wix.com. Wix.com helps you build websites that look good. It's free and easy to use. There's customizable templates. You don't need design skills. You don't need coding. You just use their templates. You drop in your videos, your text, your images, hook up your social media, and it's all done. It's easy and it's fast, and it's free. Go to Wix.com and build your website today, Wix.com. Wix.com.